You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Welcome to 128, based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is a podcast uh, where we interview spiritually mature people to learn from their journey, individual as they are, to uh, apply some of what they've learned to our own journeys. And I think you're going to be really blessed by today's podcast with Christy Griffiths. So without much further ado, let's get into it. I am so excited and thrilled that uh, my friend and really partner in crime here at Grace Point, my good right hand, uh, someone who I have nicknamed The Hub about seven years ago because all roads lead through The Hub. That is Christy Griffiths. Christy, welcome to 128. Hello. I'm so glad that you're a part of this. And um, you know, before we get into your journey of faith and we talk about uh, some of what God has brought you through and how God has grown you and taught you and, and all of that. Um, let's just listen. Listeners want to know because uh, they love people who have uh, a brush with greatness. Um, now, I'll, I'll just, just so that everybody knows, the closest that I've ever gotten to a celebrity in high school was uh, we had a, a, an Olympian that I used to swim in a pool with. and uh, But nobody cares about that because you went to high school, if I have the story right, you went to high school with John Stamos. Yes, I did. And some of you don't know who John Stamos is. Uh, Christy, do you want to tell everybody who John Stamos is? John Stamos was in the marching band with me. He was a grade ahead of me. Okay. And then he auditioned for General Hospital way back when, and his career kind of took off after that. Most people know him as Uncle Jesse. From Full from House. Full House. Did you now? Does that did that give you a weird way of looking at that show? Like when you looked at it, were you like, "I remember you from the marching band, John"? Was that a little bit different for you? Not really. You I bought into the character arc and the story arc. Yeah. And... <laughs> By then, seeing him on General Hospital was weird. Oh yeah. Because kind of went from the band room to General Hospital. But... Was his hair as glorious then as it is now? <laughs> he had nice hair in high school. I bet yes. he did. And out of curiosity, what did he play? Drums or? What he was he, a drummer. He was a drummer. Because you, yes. flautist, am I right? Yes. Flautist, see? And piccolo. And piccolo. I remember these things sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and okay, so let's start at the very beginning, right? Isn't that what Julie Andrews says? It's a very good place to start. Yes. Um, so, Christy Griffiths, where were you born? Um, and how many siblings uh, did you have? I was born in Grayling, Michigan. My family lived in Houghton Lake. Oh, wow. And I am second child. When I was born, I had an older brother who was 11 months old. We were actually born in the same year. We're Irish twins. My goodness. Um, he came in January and I came December. Same year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my poor mom. But <laughs> Kudos to your mom. Yeah. And then almost seven years behind me, I have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. And when I was 26, I found out I had actually had another older brother. 
Well, how, what, okay, that sounds like a whole interesting story. I don't want to yes. get on the rabbit hole unless you <laughs> want to go there. But uh, how did you find that out? What was that? Um, we found out my dad had been married before. We never knew. Growing up, and it just was never talked it about. It just or wasn't talked about. And he finally reached out and wanted to meet my dad. So my dad shared it with my siblings and I that there's actually another one of us. <laughs> okay, now I did. How did you make your way? Because I know you from being from California, Southern California. Isn't that where you played flute, Southern California? Or did you play flute in Greenland, well, Michigan? I started in fifth grade okay. in Michigan. In Michigan. Yeah. So how long were you in Michigan? Um, Till I was 12. Oh, so that's interesting. So culturally, would you say that you're more Michigan than anything else? I am else? more Midwestern. Isn't that interesting? Yes. What, uh, did you go from Michigan then to Southern California? Not directly. Okay, via where? Cudahy, Wisconsin. Okay, so you went from so. <laughs> Michigan to Cudahy, Wisconsin. By the way, I genuinely have no idea where Cudahy is. It's a suburb of Milwaukee. Okay. Um, I guess, well, that's Midwest to Midwest, really. Yeah, so for three months I was a cheesehead. Um, okay. We moved because of my dad. He got a new job with a new company. Okay. And after three months, they moved him to California. Oh, wow. So in one calendar year, I went to three different junior highs in three different states. My goodness. Did you, did your dad know they were going to keep moving you guys? Or was that just like a surprise on the family? After no, it was. So it wasn't like a plan stop. It was. No. The plan was Wisconsin. Wow. But once he got there, they had a better fit for him in it. That's a, that's a difficult thing to handle as uh, you know, I mean, some people handle, I moved around a lot when I was a kid, so mm -hmm. you just got used to change. That was the norm. But you know, if you grew up in one place till you're 12. No, by the time I was 12, I had lived in 10 different homes. Oh my goodness. We so you, moved a lot. Got it. Got yes. it. And when you moved to SoCal, you're in junior high. Where'd you go in, uh, in Southern California? Buena Park. Okay, yeah, yeah. And did you wind up staying in Buena Park? Did you move around in Southern California? Yeah, when well? we did that move, my mom kind of put her foot down and said, That's we're it. not moving again until the kids are out of school. <laughs> That's a gift. That is really a gift. Yes. Um, so were you raised in a particularly religious house or a non-religious house or kind of Eastern Christmas or mm -hmm. followers of Jesus? Like where, where did that whole thing kind of come in? We... Or did it play a role at all? It played a role. Um, it would depend on where we lived. My mom would find either a Lutheran or a congregational church for us to go to. Mm -hmm. um, my dad did not go. He would go for the family photo. Yep. Or if the kids, you know, us kids were in a play or something. It's a nice, nice thing for the wife and kids to do, but yeah. I'm not. It's really their deal. It wasn't his thing. Yeah. 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 Did you? Did you grow up? Uh, did you personally grow up religious, even though your house wasn't necessarily religious in terms of faith following it was more like moral teaching and kind of being around Jesus and hearing the stories, but how did you process all that personally? Um, well, we didn't really talk about God and Jesus. Okay. And when, but my brother and I went to camp a couple summers in a row and it was at the first camp, Christian camp. Camp Barakel, which oddly enough, Doug Bush in our church has a connection to. His parents were probably working in the kitchen when mm -hmm. I was there. Really? Yes. What a small world. Exactly. <laughs> so you said that first camp, what? What? 
they did the call during chapel one day and yeah. I raised my hand and cause I felt I was being prompted to do that. And camp counselors were supposed to follow up with you, yeah. but our church only sent a couple kids and we got stuck in some other churches cabin yeah and she didn't follow up so i thought that was all i had to do did uh would you say kind of in reflection now was that a genuine conversion or was that more of a response to the environment or because i early on i had made a professional faith but i knew i wasn't a believer until uh, later on in my life when i became a follower of jesus so how was that other people, they make professional faith really early. Boy, they meant mm -hmm. it. That was it. Um, that's my sister's story. It's my testimony. I think um, Randy and, and uh, Linda, that's some of their story as well. So uh, what about you? Where were you at that moment? For me, I thought I was saying I'm in Jesus, yeah. basically. But I didn't know what, you didn't what, know what happens meant. then. And I didn't live in a home yeah. that that was spoken about. And so I just went home like yeah. everything else was the same, but I started changing on the inside That's, and God was leading me, even though I didn't know this was a process. I so love that. I think, you know, it's so funny because there's some people who think hey, you make a decision, but if you don't have the support, then it doesn't take or whatever it is. But if the living God's within you, right, there's changes that do happen. And even though they may be more incremental or they may not have be fostered, they may not be like a lot of environmental conditions to help it grow fast or, or anything like that, that doesn't mean God isn't at work, which sounds like kind of your, right? Is mm -hmm. that your story? And that's yeah. pretty amazing. So when did you, so you go to Southern California and um, you're in high school with John Stamos. Did I mention John Stamos? All right. Um, <laughs> What happens in the high school years for Christy and Faith and all of that? Well, God continued to call me, even though I didn't recognize it was him calling. Mm -hmm. um, and I start, we, when we went to California, we didn't get plugged into a church. Okay. And Did you know any Christians in your high school? Not who said they were, per se. Mm. But a girl in the flute section, her dad was a pastor at a local Lutheran church. Okay. So I started going there. Really? Yes. Just on your own volition? On my own. I would go. Wow. Join the choir. <laughs> really? Now, how old were you? I was 17. At 17. That is a, uh, boy, that is a, an adult decision, right? Like that is a pretty big decision on your own volition at, a seven, at 17 to say, Wow, the only other Christian I know happens to be a PK, so I guess I'll go there. What was that experience like for you? Because I know you sing in the choir even today, and yeah. music is a big part of your life, and already it's kind of a thread even in this mm -hmm. podcast, uh, being a flautist. And see, <laughs> a few of us know what that is, right? Yeah, flautist. I started church choir in fourth grade. Did you? So yeah, you've been doing this for a long time. time. Yeah. And was it something that you had then missed when you guys went to Southern California that – you thought I'm gonna I get back into it. it. Yeah. I missed just the environment. What was your relationship with the Bible at that time? Not a whole lot of anything. Yeah. Um, I had heard things growing up that the Bible was written to give good examples, not that it was something you live by. Oh, isn't that interesting? So yeah. I didn't 
realize I had all this wealth of stuff here. Yeah. So close. And my only Bible was a King James that my grandparents had given me when I was um, so close to treasure, right? As an infant. <laughs> wow. So close to treasure and, and still missing it. And uh, so you would listen to like a good sermon or homily from the, I guess, the Lutheran priest and mm -hmm. just go, well, that's nice. It's nice to hear. Yeah. And I knew I applied things to my life Yeah, and started growing that way. But it's called cool how God works. Um, at that church, there was, I had met a girl named Krista. Okay. And we were talking. And so she, Christy and Krista. Yeah. That sounds like quite the pair. She, she started talking about an Amy Grant song, My Father's Eyes. Oh, I remember that album. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I didn't know Christian music was a thing. Yep. And I'm like, oh, yeah, people say I have my dad's eyes. Totally not getting what she's saying to me. Yeah, yeah. In the song. Of course, okay, so, so yes. for those of you listening, some context. Um, there was a time when Christian music was really coming out of its very early stages, but but picking up in popularity. Amy Grant was on the very forefront of that movement. And um, I mean, early, early days, you have like Larry Norman and some of those bands, and then you have early Petra. And then Amy Grant really uh, took it over from an Evie, Bill Gaither vocal band, Imperials kind of an era. And right around that time, as they were taking off, she was part of the vanguard of Christian music. And um, my father's eyes, which I think, because we were in small Baptist churches, was sung by every uh, girl in every church, <laughs> everywhere at one point, twirling hair. Um, but it's a, actually a great song about reflecting the image of God. That's really what that song is about, right? Yes. So you listened to it and you just went, oh, cool, she has her daddy's eyes. You thought about like biological father, yes. completely missed did somebody ever totally tell? Did anybody ever tell you? Oh, by the way, that's Christian music. She's referring to to God. Or how did you find out? <laughs> A year later, when I went to college, uh -huh. um, I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Okay, wait a second. Where did you go to college? Fullerton College for two years, and then I took a year off and came back and went to Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, Fullerton for two wow. and a half years. Great school. My uh, yeah. my PhD mentor was a graduate of Fullerton. Um, so you go to Fullerton, and what causes you to decide to get involved with Campus Crusade? Right, you said again, God calling me. I just knew I needed to know more. So did you seek out crew on that campus, or did they find you, or was it? They found me outside. How know, did they find you? What they, on campus? Just passing out because I was sitting or? out, and someone just came by and started talking. Really? Yeah. Just a cold conversation. Mm -hmm. And they were like, "Hey, would you be interested in?" Well, they kind of said stuff, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I went to class and was talking with a friend, Carol Ann, and she was like, oh, I was thinking I'd get involved with that. And that developed our Christian friendship, and we would go together. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. What was it like for you, kind of given that background, which tends to be high liturgy, sporadic, trying to figure it out as you go, but God's still working inside you, things are changing, and you, you the whole even drive to be around God and you know something's driving you there. But that is a radically different world than the world of crew, yeah. right? What was it like for you to be exposed to the world of crew, which is, by the way, a fantastic 
ministry on college campuses everywhere? It was eye-opening. Okay. <laughs> the whole being in your Bible. It was like, well, the first thing I realized is I think I need a new Bible because I didn't even know there were different versions. Mm. All I knew was King James, you know, that's how I memorized. You're like, wait a second, I can song. understand most of this? Yeah. It was amazing to me that they made them. In modern languages? Okay, I'm I'm really curious to know what translation you wound up with. But just, uh, again, for the listener, lots of different versions of the Bible. Um, there's really beautiful things about the KJV version, King James Version. That's some really great prose and poetry. Mm -hmm. But it was written in a certain uh, context and uh, even under a certain regime that kind of dictated certain parameters. Um, so I still have a great value and love for KJV today. Um, but what did you go, what version did you wind up with? Do you remember? Well, initially I got New King James. Oh yeah. Because I was scared the to pros try. A bit. When yeah. I saw how many different versions were out there, I was like, I don't know. And I didn't want to choose something that's yeah. not biblical. It's a very Moscow so on the new, Hudson kind of I kind of right? did like dip my toe in. And then when I went to Cal State Fullerton, I made a very good friendship with a strong Christian girl mm -hmm. and she had an NIV. Okay. Yeah. So then I went and got one of those and yeah. that was my standard for years. It, there's a, uh, there's a scene in Moscow on the Hudson where Robin Williams is standing in front of a bunch of coffee flavors mm -hmm. and he actually faints because he didn't realize there were that many varieties of coffee. He plays a Russian in this movie. And, um, uh, Melissa had a similar experience when she was like, oh, there's all these different translations. I don't, where do I go? What do I do next? Yeah. It really does help to have someone come along to say, hey, listen, why don't you start here? It's daunting. It is daunting. Because you don't want to make a wrong choice because you know some of them might be. Right. You're not sure, right? Yeah. So you want to, and it's God's word. It's the Bible. So you're like, oh, I get, you know, I'd like to get into this. So, so now you have a translation that you resonate with maybe, let's say, uh, in a way that speaks your language a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um does that get you into the Bible? Like because of crew, are they? Do you start to now learn the books of the Bible and where to turn? Um, and... Wasn't so much crew. I didn't do that through Cal State Fullerton. Mm -hmm. um, I had started going to a Christian church because I looked because my whole upbringing was congregational or Lutheran. So I tried that, and it was just like, no, I need to hear more. Jesus, mm. not in a relationship, not right. just Isn't that interesting? preach to. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed more, <laughs> right, right. which is so cool of God to put that in me to want to learn more. It's huge. Yes. Isn't that just like God to do that though? Yeah. It's something you see in hindsight, as you look back, God's hand in decisions you made yeah. back when you didn't know what you were doing. Well, it really, well, you must hear the verse, uh, seek me and you'll find me with a different set of ears because you you must be going, no, no, I know what it is to have the Holy Spirit pushing you and seeking something else. Yes. So you're so you're at crew, you're pursuing an education. Mm -hmm. Um is faith becoming more and more a part of your everyday life? How is uh yes. how is it, it is and mm -hmm. so what does that mean for you? I mean that you're reading your Bible on your own now, you're praying Plus a little more friction at home because Again, I was the only one doing anything mm -hmm. in that direction, um, which was hard. And why did it cause friction? Just they resented you doing that stuff or? 
I, because I started changing. I wasn't who I was anymore, but you know, family, predictable. it's difficult when you change with your family because they're used to who you are. Yeah. And not who and you're And now becoming. you're doing something else yeah. and it's like, well, what? You know better. Or, you know, it's just. Yeah. Sometimes they cast judgment on you, even though you're not being judging. Right. People, they like, yeah. they assign certain motives to people who are changing them. You think you're better than me. It's like someone who gets in shape. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're a part of a group that everybody's out of shape, they're like, oh, show off. You're trying to get in shape. How, you know, what are you trying to do? Shame us. And it's like, no, I'm just getting in shape. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm doing. You know. OK, so what do you do from Cal State Fullerton? Um, Cal State Fullerton, I my degree was in liberal studies mm -hmm. with a minor in English because I wanted to teach junior high English. OK, that was the aspiration. Yes. Okay. Um, and in California, you get your degree and then you have to do a year of student teaching. Yep. So, um, by the time I graduated, I had actually gotten engaged and decided I would get an emergency credential and start subbing okay. for financial reasons and put off going and doing my student teaching. Got it. And did that have, it sounds like that had a pretty major ripple effect. Yes, it did. I never went back and got my teaching degree. Um, my son was born 11 months into our marriage okay. with health issues, which necessitated me staying home. The, when I became pregnant, the thought was youngest kids in kindergarten, I would go back to work. And that's when I figured I would. Yeah. Pick it up and run. Um, but that didn't happen. And I ended up homeschooling both my kids. Okay. And my oldest through high school. Okay. Did you in, so, so two children? Yes. Yes. When I got married, I became a stepmom to two children as well. So four children. Yes. Kind of right off the bat. Blended family. Blended family. And living in Southern California? Yes. In the Fullerton area? Um, we were living in Buena Park. Okay. Yes. And was he a believer? I thought he was. Okay. So he, was that a part of him wooing you? It was like, oh yeah, I'm, I do this too. And yeah, I'm into so that. And this is important to you. Together and, so. and read the Bible every night together. And oh, wow. So I thought I picked a winner. Okay. And then it all stopped as soon as we got married. My goodness. You must have felt pretty betrayed like wait a second why did you show me that face of you if i'm getting this now what yeah, like one whiplash <laughs> how did this how did the ceremony suddenly it's like i got you now and now i'm gonna be this other person right that's yes i mean that's a lot of effort to try and pretend right on the front end so uh so he must have pursued you pretty heavy to have had that happen yeah. so do you was that but we still went to church okay where'd you guys went about um, we were going to Calvary Church oh, yeah. in Costa Mesa. Oh, great church. Under David Hawking. Yeah, my goodness. Calvary, yeah. great history. Um, did, uh, so you're, you're, but you're both, you're going as a family? So I'm in Bible studies. I'm doing everything I can to grow. And this is all four of you or uh, all um, six of you? The kids always went. Okay. I went every Sunday. All four, like the stepkids as well? Or? If they were with us, they went with us. Got it. And they um, rotated in and out? Yes, it? but they were getting... Mormon religion on their other side. Got it. Oh, so, so you talk about whiplash. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of. They're really going back and forth. 
And then, but for your kids, for Sam and May. My kids every Sunday. Every Sunday. Now, how long in, were you guys in SoCal doing that? Um, we moved from Buena Park to Corona. Let's see, Samantha was six. So it would have been around 98. Okay. And then we moved to Illinois in 2001. Okay, got it. So you, you were in the Southern California area till about 2001, mm -hmm. till Samantha was? She was six. Well, no. Well, six when, when we moved, moved to Corona. She was fifth grade when we moved here. Oh, God. So she's really spent her, so she's really a Californian girl. Both of my kids are They're California both California yeah. kind of ethos. Um, we all say the 88. Nice, nice. <laughs> so you moved to uh, Naperville? Yes in 2001 mm -hmm. and you're a family of four with two four step kids of us came the step kids by that time had moved to utah okay. with their mom and her family got it so they would come visit so it's the four of you guys uh here in naperville and uh, and what happens then are you still at home homeschooling well the funny thing was when we knew we were moving here i got online because computers were just starting to be a thing yeah and um, I searched Awana in Naperville, and it gave me Naperville Bible Church. Oh, fantastic. So then when we flew out to House Hunt, we looked in Century Hill, which is across the street from the church, mm -hmm. and we drove by, and I'm like, hey, that's that church that was in the process of changing over to Grace Point around that time. So Awana was the hook for this church for you guys to come into what would become Grace Point, Naperville yes. Bible at the time. Yes. My daughter had been in Awana. Okay. Since Sparky's. And that was a, there was an Awana program at Calvary. Is that? Um, well, when we moved to Corona, she got yeah. into an Awana program there. Oh, that's great. So, so she continued on. She continued here. And so you, uh, what, and so you got involved with the church here and, mm -hmm. um, 2001, that's 20 years. December of 2001. Wow. Yeah. Our first Sunday was the week before Christmas. How was your faith walk at that time? Where'd you feel like you were at in your growth process? I was, I was still doing my Bible studies, getting involved with women's groups, yeah. doing what I could to grow. Yeah. But in the house, it's difficult when someone doesn't want to pray before a meal, right. when someone doesn't want. It's hard to integrate disciplines and have consistency. Yes, without so, that there. Weirdly, it's almost like going into hiding, even though you're not in hiding at home, but you're having to kind of adjust culturally into some of the disciplines that are happening there. Yes. And the closer I got to God, the bigger wedge between him and I, and the more I was accused of being a hypocrite. Isn't that just the way of things, right? Yeah. Isn't it funny how people project their own hypocrisy out on those who are actually trying to be genuine? Um, so you're growing, but you wouldn't say, well, would you say that you were spiritually mature? Or would you say you were still growing toward maturity? Um, by that point, I would say spiritually mature. Okay. Because you hadn't hit, had you hit a dark night of the soul yet? Probably not, not yet, right? Um, I hit that when we were here, actually. Yeah. What about yeah. what time frame was it? How long after you arrived? It was within a year. Okay. So you arrived here, and then about a year later, 
it was things got really really bad yeah and it actually occurred in california really yeah my son and i had flown back out there for a cystic fibrosis event okay that he had been a part of growing up he was one of their poster kids okay and they had asked if we could come back so he and i had flown out and it tanked quick and he ended up in the i took him to the er his blood sugars were over a thousand they mm-hmm. had to induce a coma. My goodness. He was air flown from one hospital back to Children's Hospital where he had had his double lung transplant. And that's terrifying. There you are on a trip with your son. And now he's now it's <laughs> you're worried if he's going to make it through. A, was he going to live? And B, when he came out of the coma, was he going to have brain damage? Yeah. There was no guarantee. How long was he in a coma? For four days four days and, and you're there in out. Southern California really alone but I wasn't yeah God whenever Nate was in the hospital God was always in the room mm. to the point that even nurses would comment on it really there's such a peace when we walk in your room they didn't know it was God right but they palpably felt his presence in the room yeah and just so for people listening that's not something nurses randomly do they don't like randomly walk into rooms and go, hey, this is so peaceful in here. Yeah. Right? It's like, that's really, that's a, there had to have been something really unique for them to say it like that and kind of express it. So yeah. God really surrounded you in a moment that is pretty scary. He did. And I had already started sending out email updates on Nate years before. Mm-hmm. So I had his dad, I called him and told him what to say in it and to send it out on my behalf. So the people in California who knew us knew mm-hmm. where we were. And I started getting cards left for me. Wow. God didn't let me be alone in the room. God's people surrounded God's you. God's people, and... even though they, he was in ICU, they couldn't come in. Yeah. And I wasn't leaving his bedside. So they sent things up to me. My goodness. Which was cool. That is incredible, right? I mean, just think yeah. about traveling back for an event and you know it's a trip and suddenly it's supposed to be fun <laughs> that turns into a whole ordeal but god still keeps you so connected with his people and his community and a peace that passes understanding mm-hmm. right that's a pretty incredible thing so what happens uh, like so obviously uh, your son gets out of it and uh, yeah. feels better and at what point home. do you guys fly home after that um couple weeks maybe it was yeah maybe a little over a week after he came out of it okay yeah so you come back home mm-hmm. and uh and and then what How, what do the next years look like for you the next few years were the kids and i just became immersed in things at grace point okay. they were in youth well nate was in youth because he was in junior high mm-hmm. dan painter yeah was his youth leader dan painter's <laughs> our campus pastor, pastor in Plainfield. Yes. <laughs> remarkable amazing guy yeah and we would just do our thing and their dad would come on sundays okay so he was but for but all then he started kind of tapering off a little bit and would work instead okay so he started to exit like a turtle yeah got it and were there um warnings i mean obviously that's one warning sign but what at what point is he no longer around we separated in 
February of 2005. Yeah. Now, um, I'm not going to ask you about that story very much, but I do know, and I just want uh, our listeners to know that I know that there is a lot more uh, pain, um, uh, painful experiences um, that you endured through all of that than maybe um, you're comfortable sharing, but um, uh, that some of what you endured was incredibly unfair. And uh, you know, the word victim is a good word to use in that instance and situation. At any rate, um, about two that you said 2005, you said? Yes. So about 2005, you find yourself separated and moving toward a divorce at some point. Yes. And for you, here you are a believer, you're involved at Grace Point, you're, um, you're with your kids, they're in youth groups and all the rest of it. How important did church community become for you during that time frame? Very important. We don't have family in Illinois. Mm -hmm. So church people were our family. Mm -hmm. And we we relied heavily <laughs> on, the on other people. Yeah. I was I have a tendency to be stubborn and when it was time for us to move out of our house, we were literally going across Chicago Avenue from the Century Hill subdivision to the townhomes here on the corner. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to do it all by myself because part of me felt horrible for being a divorced person. Oh. I had failed. Oh, you took that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So moving you hadn't failed I, but you took it i as took a it as i failed so and a lot of people do moving right? my house as part of my punishment i needed to do it myself and i wasn't asking for help so you decided that you would you'd already been through so much pain you were already kind of really a victim and um you decided to inflict in a weird way even more pain more, on yourself more you'll, stress on myself you'll really show you <laughs> you know and uh yeah, you have to do this yourself you got yourself here isn't it get funny? Out. It's funny because you know sometimes we think we're we're at a certain point in our spiritual maturity and we think like, we got this, <laughs> we know we know how to move forward. Something traumatic hits, and it rocks us. It confuses us. We try to navigate our way through it, but then what happens is it starts to reveal things in us again where we go, oh, I've got other things that I need to bring before God and the, before the cross and deal with. <laughs> well, God dealt with it. Did He? The night before I was supposed to pack up the house, mm -hmm. I stepped off a ladder wrong and chipped two bones in my ankle Ooh. and ended up in the ER. That's one thing to allow. My goodness. Yes. So he, he almost, it's almost like, okay, God, you've not, by the way, God's not out <laughs> tripping people, but it no, does. No, but he got my attention. <laughs> but I, no, I, I think that th actually this is really important because, you know, yes, God does not go out tripping people, but I love the perspective that says, no, no, God was teaching me, and he was teaching me what it meant mm -hmm. to rely on other people when I was determined to be self-reliant through it and somehow use that as a kind of yeah. some sort of a, uh, I forget what they call that thing that you whip your own back with. But, uh, <laughs> Flange or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love that God stopped you from being able to put more on yourself when yes. you were so determined to do that. Yeah. Isn't that something? I got home that night and called my parents. My dad said, I can fly up tomorrow night. Can someone get me from the airport? 
and I called Deb Wines here, who was on the deacon board at that time, and I said, can somebody pick up my dad? Yeah. And I told her why. And the next day, a dozen people showed up at my house from Grace Point to move all my stuff into a truck. Just for the sake of love. And the following day, another dozen showed up to help me unload. That's Jesus, right? Youth came with the youth pastor at that time. Um, Eric Swanson was the junior high and Samantha was in junior high and Dana Batacola with high school and they brought kids over and that's Jesus. That's it what is. You, it's think the about hands and feet of Jesus. A bunch of people from all different walks of life that you couldn't explain them getting together for any other reason than their lives were transformed and uh, and working in and through them in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then one person hurts and the rest of them say, well, that's what we're here for. We'll carry you along in mm-hmm. faith. Wow, that what an incredible, incredible thing to to make your way through. Now, I happen to know your parents, mm-hmm. and I know they're really lovely people who um, are fun to be around and great to talk to. And I also know that faith conversations aren't particularly estranged. Um, you know, they're not particularly strained. Maybe estranged isn't the right word, but strained uh, when you talk about faith with them. And I know you uh, have regular conversations about God. When did all that start to change? With that incident. Really? Yeah. My dad saw all these church people showing up to help. And what really stuck with him was um, Mary Davis and her daughter, Mary Tyson Bradshaw, Mm -hmm. who the townhome that the kids and I moved into, the lady didn't want to leave. So she didn't have it emptied or cleaned after I got the key (laughs) and the bathrooms and kitchen were particularly horrible. And Mary Tyson had seen that because she was one of the people that came the first day to help move stuff and came back the next day with her mom specifically to clean the kitchen and bathrooms for us. Mm -hmm. And when they left, they thanked my dad and I for letting them come because they had such a wonderful day and it was such a blessing and that made a huge impression on my dad. I mean, that's it, like an internal impression. That's like a, yes. that's a seismic impression. You know, it just now occurred to me, here God used one step off of a ladder, right? Mm-hmm. To both humble you and to uh, show your father um, the side of who God is that caused your dad to go, well, I knew he was around, but oh, that. That's something different. That's something worth pursuing. Yeah. Um, and speaking so loudly through God's people, through his church, which, I mean, all of that obviously gives an opportunity for the church to respond, for people to love. And what's interesting is that everybody has choices in that. The church yes. doesn't have to help. People aren't obligated. Uh, uh, Mary and Tyson didn't have to come and clean. And yet everyone is choosing these God decisions based on who they follow, and God is using all that for His glory. You know, yes. it's our mess, His masterpiece. Really, it really is. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So, as you look back, because uh, you and I have been friends and, and partners as as we've uh, been a part of Grace Point for the last seven, eight, going on eight years. Um, as you reflect back, what would you say are and you you know because I also know you mentor. Uh, through apples of gold, and you help other young women, and, and you help other people grow in faith and have perspective, and pray, and um, see scripture, and dig in. When you think about someone who is 
struggling their way through faith. They're maybe they believe, maybe they once believed, and now they're kind of drifting. And they, you know, well, you know, what would be what would be one thing you would say that hey, listen, I want to remind you of something, or I want to tell you something that will either help you reconnect with God or see what God is doing in your life. What do you think that would be? And I know you're a high processor, so. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping I wouldn't get a question like this. <laughs> I know, but oh. I also know you because I know that your answers that you gave tend to be pretty, pretty good. So, <laughs> so no pressure now. You have to ask me. You have to go. No, Give like me a few more seconds to think. No, you're okay. Um, for someone who's. Yeah, maybe they're not reading the Bible. Maybe they're not praying. Maybe they're. They're like, maybe they were raised in church. They've got nice morals. They're, you know, but maybe they think, well, God, this God thing, you know, I take it, I can leave it. And yet here you have all this history of, well, look, came to faith, wasn't doing anything. And yet God was still working in me and moving in me. And you've got all this testing about seeking and then about the power of the word and then prayer and community. You know, there's so much that you've experienced and seen. If there's one piece of advice you'd give, Trust God to be there. Mm. He's there. Kind of like, I don't want to give a, a heads up, but your message this week, yeah. he's there. Are you seeing him? Yeah. I look back at all of my life. And since I made that, yes, I believe in Jesus. God, I can see him woven through my entire life. Whether yeah. I was looking or not, he was there. We were talking uh, the other day because, uh, uh, listeners, what I tend to do is I'll actually run through my message outline with Christy. And um, as we were talking about seeing God, she just mentioned, yeah, you don't even look at the stars the same way. You don't look at nature the same way. You, you see his handiwork everywhere around you. I Again, that that's a really, that's, that's such a great word. Um, that whole idea of trusting God that he's actually there. Because there's an implication there, which is... Um, if you're just drifting away and you're not interested and you're like, well, take God, leave God, mm -hmm. your challenge is he hasn't gone anywhere. Right? Yeah. So if you're like, well, I'll just pick him up whenever I want, like you're picking up a hobby. Again, he's not a tame lion. So the fact that he's still there is such an act of grace and mercy. And the fact that he hasn't given up, you yeah. know, is such a huge thing. So I love that. You know, I, I that trusting God that he's there, especially the other side of that is, of course, when you feel like it's all going pear-shaped. <laughs> right? Which happens. That's life. Which happens all the time. And you're just like, why? how did we get here? Yeah. And again, that moment of saying, God, I trust you. I believe that you're the God who really is there. I have no idea why I'm here or where we're going, but I am going to keep walking and trust. Mm. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The God Who Is There. It kind of reminds me, what a great title, first of all, but that's exactly right, to walk and trust, right? What's the hymn, Trust and Obey? There's, There's no other way to be happy, to be in, happy Jesus, in Jesus but to trust but and obey. Trust and obey. <laughs> well, Christy, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I, um, you and I have been friends for a while, so I happen to know a lot more um, of your story. Um, I think it ministers to a lot of people. Um, I think it's important for people to know that God isn't done with you, even if you're uh, 
even if you, you feel like you don't have much support, that doesn't mean that God isn't there. Or even if you're on a trip and you feel like it's all gone pear-shaped and you wonder where God is, sometimes God's actually in the hospital room with you. And sometimes it takes other people to acknowledge what you think is a somewhat of a normal response for you. Other people are going, no, no, there's something else going on here. Um, and I would also just point out the power and the importance of being grafted into a church. Um, you know, it, it's such a shame that so many people miss out on the blessing, Yes. you know, of, of being served. Mary and Tyson's comment, thank you so much for the privilege of getting to scrub your kitchen. You know, that's, imagine how many people miss out on someone saying that to them because they're not grafted in anywhere. And, uh, and I think it's also a real key to growth. So thank you for pouring your life into so many, and you really have. Um, I've watched you mentor other girls and women. I've watched you counsel. I've watched you pray. Um, I watched you show up um, when people didn't realize it for two, three hours at, at bedsides as people were going through the last hours of their life. Um, people don't realize this, but you know, I know all the work that goes on behind the scenes, and uh, uh, you really are the hub. There's a whole lot of things that happen because you're involved and because you're diligent in what you do. And so I just so appreciate this. I, the, the last thing I'll say, we'll close this out, but um, is uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, doing a podcast and being in any kind of a public spotlight is as close to skydiving as Christy will ever get. Is that right? <laughs> well, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, even agreeing to an interview like this is a major act of faith. And you said something, uh, I think it was last week when I'd asked you, and first you said, I'll think about it. And then I asked you and you said, God hasn't said no. And so, and then the next time we talked, you said, yeah, I said, I'm all in with God. So even this act is not an act of, well, this is what I want. It's really an act of, this is what God wants from me. And that is, what uh, devotion and spiritual maturity are all about. Thanks, Christy. You're welcome.